Welcome to The Real News Network, and reality asserts itself. I'm Paul Jay. If you watch The Real News with any regularity, you'll know we haven't been quite as obsessed with Russia's supposed intervention in the American elections. According to the leadership, or most of it, of the Democratic Party, it was Russian interference by leaking emails, Hillary Clinton emails and others, Podesta, to WikiLeaks, and that exposed something that shouldn't have been exposed and may have swung the election. Um, at The Real News, we've more or less been saying we have no idea whether Russia did all of these things or not. Nothing's been made public that persuades us that the, the jury is back on that issue. But if they did involve, get involved, the worst of what they did is, in our mind, expose something far worse which was the attempts by the DNC to sabotage the Bernie Sanders campaign, which seems to me is a far more significant threat to American democracy. All that being said, the argument being given by the Democratic Party, or much of it, is that it was the Russians that swung the election to Trump. Well, is that? Well, let's discuss that with our guests. So this is the beginning of a reality asserts itself series. We usually start with biographical information, but because all this is kind of newsy, we're going to start with a discussion of, of Russia Gate. And uh, I now am joined very much happily on my part by Thomas Frank. Thomas is a political analyst, historian, journalist, and columnist for The Guardian. He formerly wrote for Harper's Magazine, Salon, and The Wall Street Journal, and founded The Baffler. Thomas has written several books, including What's the Matter with Kansas, and most recently, Listen Liberal. And Thomas told me off-camera that there should have been an exclamation mark in the title, and we were both joking, even if there were all kinds of exclamation marks, uh, <laughs> yeah. most of the liberals are unlikely to listen to That's all right. this. Still wouldn't do it, would it? No. Anyway, wh what do you make of the significance uh, of whoever interfered and leaked all these emails, if it's Russia or, or, or a whistleblower or whatever, um, what do you make of that as the rationale for why Hillary Clinton lost the election? Well, first let me say it is so great to be here today, Paul, here in beautiful ba downtown Baltimore. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, do, what do I think of that assertion? I think, it's, uh, I think that the, uh, the WikiLeaks emails were way down the list of factors that, uh, uh, that, that, that swung the election. I think that the election can be entirely <laughs> explained by all the sort of usual things that we go to to explain American elections. Is, you know, broad uh, long-term shifts and things that the candidates said and think promises that were made and you know uh, it's the uh, after two terms of a democratic presidency oh there's there's a there's a million things that you can point to uh, in terms of blunders if you talk about you know unforeseen blunders you wait remember first back up the the, the main impact that the WikiLeaks um, emails had and they were covered in the American press uh, was uh, Hillary Clinton's speeches to Goldman Sachs. Remember, that was, I believe, almost the only item from those emails that made it into the press. And it was far overshadowed by uh, uh, Trump's extremely vulgar comments. Remember on the when he was on the, the Access Hollywood tape, which came out at almost exactly the same time. So in terms of blunders, I mean, Trump uh, Trump's blunders were so much bigger than Hillary's, and in just in terms of as long as we're just talking about 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 mistakes that might have cost the Democrats the election, there's so many other things that you have to mention. Uh, other than that, I mean the the James Comey uh, stuff where he uh, re uh, appeared to reinstate the investigation against Hillary Clinton, which was so shocking. But also you think of. Uh, Barack Obama trying to get, remember this, trying to get the Trans-Pacific Partnership passed all the way through the election? 
that's an incredible blunder while Hillary's trying to distance herself from it, remember? Yeah. And but Trump it, is hitting her for for hitting the Democrats for this every day. And here's Obama saying, no, we're gonna get it, we're gonna get it done. We're gonna get it done through Congress. That really hurt. And another one, raising Obamacare premiums two weeks before election day. What were they thinking? They, just ask yourself. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember uh, Lyndon Johnson. Would Lyndon Johnson ever have made a move like that? No, it's just like these are these are uh, beginners' mistakes. They're not beginners. It's because they had such contempt for Trump. They didn't think he had a chance. So Obama could take what was the the most explosive issue in the election, uh, trade deals. You know, Trump was hitting the Democrats for trade deals at every speech all the time, and Obama could just uh, disregard that. That's not a threat. It's not a problem. And here's poor Hillary. Remember, trying to back out, backpedal, 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 and get out of this. Saying, oh, I've changed my mind about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You know, I used to say it was the gold standard, but now I know different. And, and, and Obama's just subverting her. It was a terrible blunder. And, and but if, they, don't, they don't want to talk about any of that, by the way. You know that, right? Of course. Caesar. If, if it was the emails and if it was Comey, then it, it doesn't just affect the swing states. Well, there's a, she there's doesn't. A, then she doesn't win the popular yeah, vote. but there's a million. Right, but there's also a, there's a million things that I think the Comey emails were a big factor. But they should have been a factor everywhere. Yeah, of course. She but, still but wins wait, the popular vote. I mean, it's a silly. It's a kind of rainy day way to talk about. I don't want to say it's silly, but it's a rainy day way to talk about politics. Because if you get to, if you get to take away Hillary's blunders or the, the terrible things that accidents that happened to her, you get to take away Trump's blunders too. And this man, oh my God. Just go down, remember all the mistakes this man made on the campaign trail in 2016? Attacking this group, insulting that group, going after the judge, remember? Uh, the, going after uh, the, the beauty contest winner? Oh my lord, I, on I, and on and on. I certainly didn't predict <laughs> Trump would win in yeah. the morning of the election. If you asked me, I would have said Clinton won. But the first time I said to myself in a serious way, oh, she could lose this was the night before the election. They were in Philly, and Obama's on stage with her, bragging about all the achievements of the administration. So little sense of the anguish so many people yep. were feeling yep. about their conditions. And well, all he's the, doing is, is bragging about the economic achievements. Yeah, and that's the larger, the sort of motif of the Clinton campaign was complacency. This was a campaign, it was a resume campaign. Hillary ran entire, I mean, there was no what was she offering to, I mean, the, the, the great swing electorate of this country, white working class voters, what is she offering these guys? And by the way, everybody was saying, everyone knew what was coming. If Trump had a chance, that's, that was the group that he was going to, that, that's where his chances lay. Was with and this in group. the swing states. So what do you do, what do you do about that? What do you, what do you do, what do you offer these guys? Well, there's all sorts of things you could offer them. Hillary doesn't bother. Instead, it's about her qualifications. Uh, you know, what I, how she is the most qualified presidential candidate of all time. She's running as a resume candidate. And uh, they, they, I mean, the, the sort of unofficial slogan of the Democrats in this last go around was America is already great. It's just unbelievable. Well, that's the that's, whole point is that she ran in defense of the and the continuer of the Obama legacy. Right. But the Obama legacy saw one of the greatest increases in wealth in inequality. Yeah, inequality is totally rampant, totally out of control. By the way, I was at the Democratic convention. I went to both party conventions last year. And uh, at the Democratic convention, you had speakers who tried to make 
uh, uh, you know, tried to try to make something of that. You know, the, the the growth in inequality. Elizabeth Warren talked about it. Bernie Sanders talked about it. The problem is they're at the Democratic convention, and the you know half of the speakers are from the administration, from the Obama administration. You can't really blame this on uh, you know it, you, they they were in a they were in a terrible spot because that's sort of what you know Democrats are very comfortable talking about inequality, but they can't do it when they've been sitting in the White House for eight years. Well, I think one of the things you say in your book, and we talked off camera ahead of time, it's not just they made mistakes, and it's not just they don't learn and observe, but they have a vested interest, and they represent a section of the elite. Yes. And, and maybe they should be that, better liars, but they, they're a little closer to what they really, they really think. That they really and truly don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about, I think that's, I, I don't want to be too, uh, uh, I don't want to apply that with too um, broad a brush because we, you and I both know there's plenty of Democrats who do care and there's a lot of good Democrats out there and I hope that we, you know, uh, that, that we'll see some shift in the Democratic Party. By the way, a lot of Democrats historically that I'm fond of, I like Franklin Roosevelt, I like Harry Truman, Lyndon Johnson, these are good, I mean, these people with terrible flaws, but these are these are guys who would have known what to do about the current situation, the current but, but, economic We are going to talk a little bit about this later because yeah. each but, one but, of these but, presidents but, 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 yes, you just they, mentioned have some pretty horrible oh, things of course, on their the Vietnam War, of course. And, but, and, but wait. And, but, and, and dropping nuclear bombs. Yeah, on yeah, but the, but, but, but the, the current, fa the faction that is currently uh, in charge of the Democratic Party. Uh, this is, by and large, a very contented group of people. So, what the, the thesis of Listen Liberal, what I what I what I write about in Listen Liberal, is how the Democratic Party changed from being a party that really cared about, about blue collar workers, uh, you know, working class people, to being a party that cares about a very different group. Did, did it actually care? And, and even Roosevelt, if, like when he originally ran, he certainly wasn't running on a stimulus plan. He wasn't running on right. a big jobs program. Um, did they genuinely care? Well, let me just add one point to it. Are they simply more farsighted when it comes to systemic solutions? Like Roosevelt knew that if you want to keep any form of modern democratic capitalism... Yeah, it has to be reformed. You need... Yes. To have a jobs program and such, or you're going to be dealing to with some kind insurance. of fascism yeah. in the United States. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, that's that's exactly right. But towards the uh, the sort of end of the New Deal era, like in the 1960s, um, labor unions were very powerful within the Democratic Party. Uh, members of Congress often came from a blue-collar background, came up through uh, organized labor. That sort of thing was fairly common in those days. This is not to say that they were ever an, a perfect. Uh, party or anything like that, but there was, there has been a, a real shift, not a cosmetic shift, but a real shift. Doesn't that actually begin with Truman? Like, like with Truman. Yeah, like Vice President Wallace, Roosevelt's vice president. Oh yeah, president, oh, no, the, you're right. There's been a real fights. progressive. Sure. And then you have and, kind and, of a coup against Wallace. Yeah. The unions want Wallace as, as to become the president, the vice presidential nominee. Yeah. And in '45, that's kind of a coup within the party, and they dump Wallace and bring in Truman. And bring in I know, but that's that's. I thought I considered that uh, that stuff was too far uh, uh, outside of the you know, the focus of Listen Liberal. I start in the late 1960s, which is, uh, you know, th there, there was a, an enormous change in the Democratic Party, a lot of it for the better. This is in the aftermath of the Vietnam War, when the Democratic Party decided to sit down and reform itself. And they basically decided to um, remove organized labor from its structural position within the Democratic Party. Uh, this is the famous McGovern Commission in the early 1970s. Now, some of the things they did were very good and very healthy, 
Uh, and in their defense, I mean, by the way, once once they do this, once a party of the left, which is unfortunately what the Democrats are in our system, once a party of the left decides that it's no longer going to be a voice of working class people and instead is going to be a voice of a different group, uh, namely uh, affluent white collar professionals, which is what they deliberately chose in the, uh, in the, in the early 1970s. They chose to make this transition. Um, when that happens, things like the inequality, the situation that we're in today, are inevitable. When that's the left party in your system has, has decided that they don't really care about the, the fate of working class people, what's, what, what, what we have seen come to pass is inevitable. Now, in their defense, no one in 1971 would have seen that coming. I mean, this, the, the America was at its probably most equal state ever, like the high watermark of social equality, or economic, I should say economic equality in this country, where you had very famously back in those days, blue collar people living next door to white collar people. They have both live in ranch houses in the suburbs or whatever. And the difference would mainly be a matter of taste. Commentators, it's like sociological commentators used to write about this all the time, like this guy drinks Budweiser, this guy drinks martinis, this guy drives a Chevy, this guy drives a Buick, you know, but they earn the same amount. And that's who we were in this country. The higher Not pay, all, the upper stratum of mostly unionized workers yeah. were making similar money to some professionals. White collar, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that to was, a large extent, because they were getting kind of bought off with the... Well, they were paid really well. Well, know? yeah, but the they were getting the was, uh, was, share of the plunder of the world. They were oh, of course. Oh, no, that's right. Well, you're talking about the, yeah. the very large picture. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and they have a lot to answer for, too. But, but all I'm getting at here is that this was, this was the case in this country, and that has completely disappeared. And uh, it, it, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, and I, but I grew up in that world where, you know, I'm from Kansas City. If you had a parade in Kansas City, organized labor had a float in the parade. If you had a blue ribbon commission to decide some issue, organized labor had a seat at the table. It was just that's who we were as a, as a society that, that uh, working class people had, were represented. And uh, that's gone. And I, I describe this to younger people and they can't, you know, imagine that <laughs> America was like this. But it was not just that America was like this. This was the cliche of who it, we were. And isn't know? part of what happened in the Democratic Party is that the leadership of many, not all, but many of the big unions, because they're having such a comfortable life, yeah. and, and the leaders of the unions are not living and getting paid like professionals. They're getting paid like CEOs. They're yeah, getting That's right. Well, CEOs you know, in the 70s. Yeah. A very getting, different world now. <laughs> but but big salaries yeah, yeah. and $40 steaks at lunch and, yeah, and so yeah. on. Um, that they seeded they said okay to the elites. They said okay to Wall Street. You can run the Democratic Party. You just make sure that us big unions kind of get what we need yeah. in a very narrow oh, way. Oh, that's right. That, I think that that might be the case. The, I mean, some unions were always better than others. United Auto Workers, for example. Uh, but they uh, uh, they were very angry when this happened to them in the in the 70s when they when they basically lost their power within the Democratic but, Party. Uh, very so upset about it. Part of the critique of the, uh, including the auto workers is that they had this wonderful health care plan for themselves. Yeah. But they did next to nothing to lobby for a, health, a universal health care plan yeah. for the country. Later they get screwed. <laughs> yes. This is, look, all of these are, these are all true and correct objections. But the larger picture thing is they get removed from their position of strength in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party then becomes, through the 1970s and the 80s, becomes a very different beast and becomes a vehicle for the interests of 
affluent white-collar professionals. And as we all know, the, you know, labor still, by and large, endorses Democratic candidates, you know, uh, funds Democratic candidates, and the Democrats have lots of other groups who are part of the coalition as well. We all know that. Um, you know, minorities, women, the young, on and on and on. Many, many, many groups that vote that are reliably Democratic. But the group that comes first and the group whose interests always prevail in Democratic circles is professionals. And uh, by the way, this is not a secret. This is not something that I made up. This is not something where you have to read between the lines. <laughs> They're open about this. They talk about this all the time. Uh, the Democratic Party. You read in their, your their book. You call the, this this class the meritocracy. Yeah. This is well. That's their philosophy, the, and that's the philosophy that the Democratic Party has by and large embraced. And you see it in the Hillary Clinton campaign in a sort of uh, a staggering way. Uh, well, you see it in Hillary Clinton's career. Where Hillary Clinton, and, and by the way, and I don't hold this against her, I, I, I admire Hillary Clinton in all sorts of ways, but, uh, you know, she's uh, like her husband and like Barack Obama, she comes from a humble background and is plucked out of it by a fancy education, by a fancy school, in her case, Wellesley College, in her husband's case, Georgetown. Barack Obama was at Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. Or was it Columbia? It was Columbia and then Harvard. Yeah, and you get hands up. Yeah. Harvard Law Review. Yeah. Yes, right, right. And and uh, but there's it's always the same trajectory with these people where their success in life comes through education, and comes through the opportunities that education affords them. And so Hillary uh, goes to Yale Law School. Hillary becomes this uh, super lawyer, sort of back in Little Rock, you know. Uh, and they used to call her whatever it was the you know the 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 best lawyer west of whatever river Little Rock is west. <laughs> I don't even remember. Is it might be the Mississippi? I forget. Uh, but that's 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 her career is defined by her academic excellence and her achievement as a professional, uh, and that's really who she cares about, and that's who the Democratic Party cares about. And you can see this, and what I do in Listen Liberal is I point out all the ways that this manifests itself, that this meritocratic worldview that a guy like Barack Obama really embraces at his core, that really is who he is, you know. He really believes that the talented should rule and that the talented can figure everything out. And, and then these guys go to the section of billionaires willing to listen to them. That's right. And they say to them, we will manage the system for you. Yeah. And it will be good for you and it will be good for us. And we know how to talk to the working class. Yes. So we'll make we sure they don't become a problem. Yes. And it's so what you see in America and uh, basically in the last 20 or 30 years is both parties speak to different segments of the wealthy. The Republicans have the 1%, you know, the people with inherited wealth, the people who are really way up there, Koch brothers, Walton family, that kind of thing. The Democrats speak to the top 10% your affluent uh, suburban professionals, you know, people with advanced degrees, people who live in the nice suburbs, and, uh, but they're, you know, and they, they're, these are people that I live among, this. I, I am one of these people. Well, they got some <laughs> of the one percenters, they get some of Some of them, yes. They get some of the hedge fund guys, yeah. and they get Silicon Valley. But you have this situation now some where it's gone so far that, did you know that Hillary outraised Donald Trump two to one? in this last go around. And you look at the, the really affluent, like the affluent college towns, the affluent suburbs, Hillary won them. Uh, Hillary won Orange County. Am I right about that? Or did I uh, imagine that in a dream or something? It just, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, where, where it, you know, Hillary Clinton was beating Donald Trump in all of these sort of corners of American wealth. Donald Trump, the billionaire.
My understanding is Trump had very little billionaire money behind him, other than yeah. Sheldon Adelson. A handful of the you know the, the usual suspects. It wasn't until yeah. well in, in the primaries he had only Sheldon Adelson, and then after the primaries he gets Robert Mercer, who you should watch our documentary about Robert Mercer, the right wing bizarre right wing billionaire that backed Bannon and Trump, because he played a key role in this. But he didn't have the normal. Uh, billionaires, including the Koch brothers, uh, yeah. that they normally were, they were not excited about Trump. Yeah. So uh, Hillary outspent, outraised, and outspent Trump two to one. I remember uh, I went to Florida the week before the when I actually went to Palm Beach, right down the street from Trump's house, and I was uh, in Palm Beach, you know, Florida, the ultimate swing state. The week before the election, I was writing a story that I assume we'll we'll talk about later, a story for the Guardian about. <laughs> well, well, we'll come to this later. But I was you know watching TV, of course, watching the news and. It was wall-to-wall -wall Hillary commercials. Hillary TV commercials constantly. No Trump. I didn't see any Trump TV commercials. But then you get in the car and drive out into the countryside, and there's Trump billboards everywhere you go. It was a really interesting moment uh, where Trump basically, in all sorts of ways, kind of flipped the equation on the Democrats and did so well in all of these blue-collar counties and with a lot of these blue-collar voters who really, uh, you know, as I've always said, have no business voting for a guy like that and, you know, are spectacularly ill-served by Republican economic policy. Okay, in the next segment of our interview, we're going to continue our discussion and dig a little further into what, what sections of the working class voted for Trump and why. Thomas has written quite a bit about this, including his book, What, what, what Is It Again? What's, what's the Matter with Kansas? Well, what's the matter with the American working class? We're going to talk about that in the next segment of Reality Asserts Itself with Thomas Frank on The Real News Network.